Welcome to another episode of Be Now. It's the show where nothing needs to happen because this present moment is enough. Hmm. I'm sitting. <laughs> 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 My name is Arya. I'm sitting down with Jacob. Yeah. Uh, remind me. Tell me your last name. Uh, Jacob Wanich. Wanich. Yeah. That's right. Okay, and so for our listeners, uh, I think, yeah, most of the listeners might already know you, but uh, yeah, kind of introduce yourself, and yeah, what inspired you to come to China? Uh, okay, so I guess in that order, um, I am an amateur writer, um, I'm involved with various groups around Chengdu, um, expat groups, uh, one being Spittoon Chengdu, uh, a literary organization that tries to provide a platform for poetry, prose, and other art forms. Mm. Um, both among expats and locals um, and the other would be I've recently found myself more kind of involved as a contributor for the Chengdu Comedy Club um, which is exactly what it sounds like <laughs> yeah that, you started that this year or yeah about six yeah. months ago I, I did my first set yeah um, okay. it was it was a really bad set <laughs> but that's the point I guess right just a new challenge yeah, yeah. um and then I did come to China specifically, so I, well, for a few different reasons. One of them being that I could have a job that would allow me to write. Um, I think a lot of jobs can be very engaging or soul-sucking. Mm. And if, if, like, I remember reading something coming out of college, and it was, if you want to be a professional writer, you need to have some job that will pay the bills and not sap your creative energy. Mm. Um, so mm. China was part of a means of doing that. Mm. Um, the other right. reason was I felt like I wanted to learn a new language, um, explore a new culture, because I was, I feel like I was a bit bored with Canada. I felt like very little things that would happen in Canada in the circles I was in um, would be something interesting or new. Uh, so I felt like I was just going over the same territory again and again. Mm. Uh, so that's, that would be why, why I came. And then things kind of changed as it went. <laughs> uh, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, as life does. You feel like, so, yeah, I like that. So it pays the bills and doesn't zap your creativity. Exactly. Yeah. You feel like you fulfilled those two? Um, well, the bills are being paid. <laughs> and yeah, I do have the creative energy um, left after a day of work or maybe while I'm at work mm. um, so I can get some things done. Uh, I guess the bigger problem is is other passion projects have kind of come in and I think it's just as easy to burn out on a passion project mm. as it is to burn out on a job you hate mm. um, if mm. not easier mm. um, passion projects yeah yeah okay um, one example uh, I guess so I, I've been involved with Spittoon as an organizer for a year or so um, Tell us about Spittoon, yeah, for folks who don't know about it. Yeah, uh, Spittoon started in Beijing, I think about four years ago, um, by a guy named Matthew Byrne, who's still kind of at the head of the organization. Um, so they've got definite, like, uh, regular events in, in Beijing and in Shanghai, uh, sorry, not in Shanghai, in Chengdu. Um, they've got some sort of one-off events that they'll do in Shanghai and Hangzhou. Um, they've got also now new collectives starting out they've got one in Gothenburg in Addis Ababa Ethiopia wow. and I think they're getting one in Portugal mm. uh, I forget which city mm. uh, it's spreading yeah yeah it's kind of becoming this larger international thing and, and that's kind of really cool to see 
especially as like often they'll do events where Spittoon, Gothenburg and Sweden and Beijing will have like a a video chat essentially mm. um, and they'll have like a combined poetry and prose reading event or something like that mm. and how did you come into the mix like I met I think mm. uh, yeah I think the first time I came to the writing group you were there and it was like a small group at Bookworm yeah, yeah. Uh, so essentially I mean the Bookworm I think are, rest in peace, rest in peace. <laughs> the Bookworm Chengdu was like a, a really good spot to find out what was going on in the expat community especially the literary community. So when I first arrived in Chengdu, I found the bookworm. I found out that they had the writing group. Um, the writing group was at, was at the time, and I think sort of still is, being run by Annie, um, who is also the head of Spittoon Chengdu. Mm. Shout out to Annie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think in Chengdu, you find these like long-term pillars of the community. Like the, It's kind of like the community grows around them. Mm. Um, and so she was that kind of point of contact. Uh, and, and immediately after I joined the writing group, she encouraged me to submit to Spittoon in Beijing. She encouraged me to come out to reading events here, um, which I did. And then a while later, she encouraged me to join the organizing team. Mm-hmm. It's very encouraging. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, she makes things happen. And, and yeah. I do appreciate that mm-hmm. um, because I think it would it it makes the scene here, the literary scene, a lot richer than yeah. it otherwise would be. Right. Yeah, without people like her, it wouldn't exist. Right? Essentially, yes. Yeah. Um, maybe some other kind of, something else might have popped up. Mm. Uh, it certainly would not have come up in the form that it has. Um, mm. The fact that she is uh, a long-term expat as compared to like a lot of uh, temporary or... Um, right, right. Uh, well, temporary expats, I guess. Um, means that she has a lot of the connections to the community as well Mm. Um, and and she can kind of grow the community in in all sorts of different directions and make new connections between other people to get things going so Mm. it's a so passion project so you're you're involved there and you feel energized by that Um, yeah passion projects they kind of they give the the motive I guess They, they provide the incentive um, but I would not say necessarily it provides the energy um, because I find my passion projects do end up kind of conflicting in terms of there's there's limited energy resources at the end of the day so I can't do everything hmm. um, limited time and and so on so yeah, it's a whole balancing act yeah, yeah. And, and if you're if anyone is like me <laughs> and loves kind of jumping on board to all these cool ideas and awesome things that are happening. Uh, you have to be very careful to, to keep, I guess, what's important to you as a priority. And, mm. and so I've had to do that. Um, I'm still involved with, with Spittoon um, and I'm still happy to help out whenever it's required, but like I'm, I've recently stepped down from being a formal organizer. Uh, so now I'm mainly involved in design work. I'll contribute as regularly as I can, mm. um, and if they want help, I'm always happy to help them. Uh, but as like a, a regular expectation, mm. I've kind of had to let let it go in a sense, um, because it it's been too long since I've worked on certain writing projects. Sure. Um, so so the thing uh, I appreciate about you, and like being in the writing group, like. I've come a few times, you know, a handful of times, and like the thing that inspires me walking away um, is like the feedback 
and and uh, the energy that's sort of like spider webbing you know in, mm-hmm. in the group um, and yeah and 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 like everyone comes from their own journey and background and and offering this generosity to each other's you know work mm-hmm. which is really which is really cool yeah um, I think the best thing you can give anyone in, in a, that kind of like writing workshop is just time um, you give your time and then you give your opinions and and ultimately for me when I'm, when I'm in a workshop situation all I'm looking for is how other people saw it um, because writing is, is a means of communication mm-hmm. so if people got the messages I wanted to send or, or right. picked up on on small beautiful things I've seen in life and wanted to share mm-hmm. then I think that's amazing um, and then if I've kind of made some mistakes or have been unclear or sloppy with, with some of the ways I've done that, I, it's also good to hear because mm. it, uh, it's a way of clearing things up. Mm. So how long has writing been a part of your life? Because something I'm interested in is like your, like your bigger journey like uh, in life and maybe also sure. in, in, in China. Mm-hmm. Um, and how has writing been instrumental in the process? Like, yeah, can you speak to that? Um, I would say as, as a child, I've always had more books than friends. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, My dad always said a, a book can be your best friend. Good. Yeah. He doesn't argue, he just, <laughs> just, <laughs> just listens. And, yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I, I don't value not arguing in, in friends per se. Mm-hmm. Um, but what the book can do is it, it can allow me to get inside someone else's head and inside someone's imagination mm-hmm. um when i was a child i played all sorts of like imaginary realm games with my my siblings we would just be running around the house talking about all these things that if an outsider were to look in on they'd be like those are all made up mm-hmm. and they were and and but we could see them when we played uh, together and we could live through them and it was a really uh, cool adventure mm-hmm. um, so the fact that like books often provided me that that not necessarily escape but that adventure and that ability to learn from someone I would never see in my life um, I thought that was really cool and so it went from a love of reading and eventually developed into a love of writing because I do feel compelled to create something mm-hmm. uh, at most points in my life and writing I found was the the clearest way I could do that. Mm. Why, why do you feel compelled to create something? Oh. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I've just kind of gotten used to having it there, um, or there, I guess, inside, just kind of wanting to come out. Um, and I usually don't know it. I don't know what form it wants to take when it does. Um, I listen to... Oh, I'm going to kick myself. I'm the worst at remembering names. Um, The author of Eat, Pray, Love. Uh Uh, She gave a talk and she talked about the muse. Mm. um, This kind of idea that some sort of spirit or demon would come in and work through you for a time. And and for that time, it'd be like divine inspiration. Mm -hmm. Um, She wrote a book called Big Magic. talks about that. Good book. Yeah. 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 I'll have to read that one. so if I feel like it's kind of the same thing. I don't, I don't question it um, because it is something that gives me meaning um, and it helps me kind of live the rest of my life. <laughs> mm. Mm. Um, so 
So what's the way that you sort of connect with your intuition? Can you give me an example? <laughs> like like the muse, for example. Like mm-hmm. uh, it's, a, it's a spirit that comes through you and you kind of allow space for it to come forth or what does that look like for you? Yeah, um, for me, it'll come out whenever. Um, sometimes... Like right now? <laughs> a little bit, okay. yeah. And, and I think talking is actually a form of creation and especially dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes you just let it come out and sometimes you kind of got to drag it out a little bit and sometimes it just doesn't come out no matter how you tug at it mm-hmm. and and this mm-hmm. would be kind of my view on the creative process i think everyone has a different view on it but mine is um but it sounds like an animal as soon as you tug on it <laughs> well at the end of the day i'm going to create something whether inspiration comes or it doesn't mm-hmm. um and i've got like a very large graveyard of things <laughs> that I wrote, but they weren't inspired, mm-hmm. um, and I didn't really feel like it was something that was ready to to go out into the world. Mm. Um, yeah, man. Um, this, yeah, the word inspiration is something I really gravitate toward. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, like you you stay with something long enough, as long as it's inspiring, it feels energizing, and makes you want to keep discovering. You know, it's different facets. You know, whether it's paint, writing. Mm-hmm. a new friendship right it's inspiring like yeah and like if you have like a string of inspiring conversations right that's gonna lead to something cool right I think so yeah mm. now you're also creative so you, you kind of see the creative processes as following um, like uh, almost like breadcrumbs or something like that yeah I could say that yeah okay. just like clues <laughs> yeah yeah because you can never get the full picture all at once otherwise you like explode or something <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay I get that Nice. Uh, now, I know you, you kind of, I feel like you're very free in, in, in what mediums you'll work with. I, I feel like you're, gonna, you're willing to work with any sort of medium. Has mm. um, it always been that way? I started writing poetry. My earliest sort of memories like writing poems, mm-hmm. uh, just sort of to express myself. Um, but as I got older, you know, just kind of uh, playing with drawings and stuff seemed like something I enjoyed and like, my cousin told me one time, oh, you, that looks good, you know. I, one time I did a drawing for my dad, and like, so that kind of had its momentum. Um, and when I do like, a, like mindfulness workshops, I'll throw mm-hmm. in, you know, writing, journaling, or like drawing activities in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do enjoy, um, yeah, a good creative session, whatever outlet it could be. Mm-hmm. And I feel really excited seeing people's, like spreading people's expression. Mm-hmm. In whatever whatever way, right? Whatever modality it could be. Okay. Mm. Um, with you specifically, do you find like your creativity is? Does it serve like a higher goal, or mm. uh, or is it just kind of creation for the sake of creating? For feeling good, I guess that's like a mm-hmm. like like for example, drawing. Like if I'm like I'm bored or I feel like overwhelmed with something, I'll just go on a blank page and start just doodling and drawing and. Uh, just the act of following the line and seeing what it's doing, how is it speaking to me? What what kind of mood is it creating? You know, mm-hmm. um, and just kind of bringing that out of me, it really can be really satisfying. Okay. Um, so like kind of cathartic. Yeah, cathartic <laughs> and and yeah, I guess the function is to heal and to help some movement, some motion towards something better, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay.
I, uh, I don't find myself thinking about these sorts of things too often. Mm. And, and I, well, maybe I should. <laughs> In what way? Well, I don't usually, I think it's like every few months I'll be like, okay, it's time to question everything I'm doing. <laughs> um, which I, it's a bit of an odd way of doing it, but I think a lot of people do it this way, just be like, to check in once a month and, or once every few months and be like, is my life on my career path? Am I following my five-year plan? Mm -hmm. um, that sort of thing. And um, reflect, stepping back and reflecting. Yeah. I mean, one thing I, I rarely ever do is just like kind of think about my own wellness, <laughs> my own well-being. Um, everything that comes up I usually see it oh this is a problem this is an obstacle that I have to overcome or get through and I don't think about it as like am I prioritizing my well-being mm. over something else some other purpose mm. um, I, I feel like that's a I'm not sure I, I feel like this is a bit of a western mindset um, is, is there are these kind of almost standard goals um, and they started out as like these, I feel like almost unachievable ideals in, in younger years. And then I think as people get older, it becomes more practical. It's just like, okay, I need to get the bills paid. I need to have this kind of house where I can feel comfortable in it. Um, these sorts of things become like almost the driving goals. If they have kids, then certainly it's just, I want the best for my kids. And I feel, mm -hmm. uh, just the basic needs yeah uh, even with kids it always feels like there's a, an external motive <laughs> behind it it's like I want to see my kid do well rather than I want to do well and by doing well show my child how also to do well and be mm, well mm, mm. Um, mm. like setting the example for wellness for well-being if yeah, that's the priority yeah. well I think it should be high on the list anyway mm -hmm. I mean there, there's there may be something to be said for kind of these obsessive starving artists <laughs> um, and I think some of them actually you know the ones who will stay up all night smoking and drinking to put something out and I, I don't think that's actually a good way of generally creating I wouldn't recommend it mm -hmm. I mean I think Hemingway has an image of having been this kind of creative but in fact he was very rigorous about his health so that he could write mm -hmm. um, not not to speak to other parts of his life <laughs> Um, but, but the idea of mental health and the creative process, yeah, supporting each other. There's, I feel like there's a lot of, um, specifically in the artist community stigma or, or at least stereotypes regarding like artists as being these mentally troubled Deranged. people. <laughs> and I mean, there is something to be said about people saying, oh, like art comes from suffering like really good art comes from suffering and there are a lot of examples of that um and and you know like music tied to like drug abuse for example like um the red hot chili peppers you know in one of their I, i've seen this often on the internet i'm not sure if it's actually true but in during one of the budgets for one of their albums they had ten thousand dollars for cocaine mm -hmm. and you know i think uh Again, not, not something I've researched and looked into, but I'm, I'm sure I've heard they're like clean now. Mm -hmm. um, but everyone's like, oh, the music isn't as good because they're not on drugs anymore. And, and it's this kind of attitude towards artists as being 
disposable, but their art is something that's more important. Um, I feel like it's a, a troubling sort of way of viewing artists because ultimately, of course, I want to, I would love to be successful as an artist. Um, I would also love to have like a pretty comfortable life if I can. Right. Uh, mm. Yeah, there's a balance there again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what does it mean to be successful? I think that's like a, uh, yeah, like that, how we define growth, how we define mm-hmm. success. Like, like, for example, being in China, there's this obsession with growth, economic growth. Yeah. Do you mean like as a country or? or yeah, as a country. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, people's beliefs sort of line up with that. And kind of opening a can of worms here. But well, <laughs> it, that gets political. Um, and not that that's a problem, I don't think. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's not a good or bad thing. It's just, yeah, there is a place for economic growth. That's kind of, you know, how. Of course. Yeah. And generally speaking, economic growth is a good thing. However, politics as it ties to economics tends to be amoral, in my opinion. Um, it tends to be without any moral code. Uh, the one thing that you will never see in economics is the part where they trade off like the cost of making something with the cost of morality. Because mm. um, morality does have a cost in an economic system. Um, whether it's immoral or moral, every action will in the like every major action in the economy will have some sort of monetary cost. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd like to think, I'd like to hope rather, I'd like to hope that good moral decisions come with uh, good economic outcomes. Mm. I'm I'm inclined to think there are, that would be the case, but ultimately I think rational self-interested agents if we're going by economic terms um, aren't going to be interested in the well-being of other people per se Mm. Um, and I think this is pretty apparent in in the way a lot of corporate entities and and countries even um, make decisions Mm. and the answer so given this is the case Mm -hmm. what is the solution. <laughs> I don't know. Well, it's going to be there's going to be a different solution for every country in the world, yeah. um, for every company in the world. So it gets down. It's pervasive. Um, the problem, the mindset. Um, I think part of it, at least, speaking only for like Western democracies, um, that's going to require that people are stop having essentially simplistic views. Um, people need to research and question their views Mm. and learn to kind of, I mean, most voting um, platforms are kind of like a bundle. And usually in this bundle, you hate this bit and you love the rest of it. And so you're going to vote for this guy. Um, So learning to step outside of, I am this bundle and and into having um, diverse views um, that are, are not just wholesale, wholesale subscription mm. to one of these bundles I think is, is absolutely crucial right right um, like less less sort of like running to snap conclusions snap judgments yeah. sort of like kind of examining things yeah I think people do a lot of gut reactions um, and 
most of what I'll see online in discussions of these sorts of things is a, is a gut reaction. This entire thing is bad. Right. Uh, and that could be a country, it could be a, a government decision. Um, and I think if, if your political view on a matter can be expressed with like a meme, you know, like one picture and one slogan, mm. it's too simplistic. Right. Uh, and it's going to be problematic because the way that right. people break up voting parties. So like, uh, I, I was watching this free lecture series by a Yale professor, um, Dr. Shapiro, and it's about power in the contemporary world. One of the things he kind of talks about with the rise of the right, um, is that they get people to vote against their economic interests. Um, so by, by creating, a, in a sense, this, this identity that's, that's simplistic and it, it makes an us versus them scenario, mm. people who economically would benefit from the other party's policies will vote against them because they see it as protecting their national identity, uh, as protecting their culture. Um, when in fact, I think the policies have nothing in them for these people but they vote against their interests because they're able to create this false dichotomy of us and them in these countries that are, are built on immigrant immigrants and immigration. Um, you know, mm, mm, mm. yeah, the us versus them thing yeah. can be avoided. So for the interest of time, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, for the interest of time, uh, because we chat, let's, uh, let's caps at 30 minutes. Sure. Yeah. Um, and uh, so before we close out, I want to uh, ask you a question. What was the last thing you celebrated? The last thing I celebrated? Um, hmm. I think... Besides single, Singles Day. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, that's kind of a hard one. Because I don't generally make the conscious decision to, to celebrate things a lot. Um... For me, celebration involves other people, generally, so I would say it might have been like a birthday or something like that. Uh, Lorna's birthday? Yeah. Yeah. That was that. And I, I mean, I like birthdays. I, I'm usually, it's good to celebrate the people in your life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I want to celebrate doing this uh, podcast with you. We finished it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, welcome to again anytime. Thank you. It was awesome. Thank you very much. Thanks. How do you feel about so far? About the conversation? Yeah. Uh, it's good. It's interesting. It went in ways I didn't expect. Cool. Um, yeah, me either. <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of glad it wasn't like a, a rant, although I felt like I was leaning towards it sometimes. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I do have rants in me. <laughs> me too. Yeah. The rants in all of us. <laughs> yeah. Cool, man. Cheers.